Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians. We're going to be continuing our study in Ephesians, and if you don't have one with you, we've got some under the chairs. You could grab one and turn to page 977, page 977 in the Black Bibles. had just a couple of other announcements while you're turning there, and now I set down my announcement notes. Oh yeah, a couple of other things. We just had a lot of new things going on. One thing, this is Orphan Sunday. I don't know if you realize that. Um, it's kind of... Every Sunday is Orphan Sunday for us. We do a lot of stuff to support orphan care and foster care. Uh, But one particular thing that you can jump in on, in addition to the uh, Operation Christmas Child that we're doing for kids in third world countries, we're also going to be buying Christmas presents for local foster kids. So Lisa Daniels, our nursery director, will be running that. So kind of as we're closing out the Operation Christmas Child, we'll be continuing with this other project. So be looking for that in the next couple of weeks. So just buying particular gifts for uh, children here, you'll know their ages, you'll be able to get some specific things for them, and we'll start putting that information out. Um, also, Mercy Team, uh, October was baby month for Grace Bible Church. I think a lot of guys must have come back from a deployment about nine months ago, and uh, we've just, we had, I think we had about a thousand new babies in October, and uh, so one of the ways that we serve people with children, uh, especially if they're not connected to a small group community, is we have this thing called the Mercy Team. And the Mercy Team serves families uh, probably most often bringing meals to those who have had a baby or to those who have experienced a death in the family. There's other things that the Mercy Team does, but those are kind of the two main things. So if you're interested in helping with that, Jennifer Spurl is now heading that up. Allison Fennell was and moved. So Jennifer, Jennifer Spurl is leading that now, and I think she's, you're here, there she is. If you can stand and you can look at her, there she is, all right? So you can grab her after the service if you're interested. Um, her information's on the back of the bulletin as well if you want to jump in there, but we could use some more help with that. Um, also, there's a new small group that's just starting up this week. It's a cross-cultural marriage focus. So a lot of cross-cultural marriages in Colleen, and so we're going to start a small group on how the gospel applies to cross-cultural relationships, kind of hits on what we hit last year, in, uh, last week in Ephesians, the end of Ephesians 2. Uh, so Frank Leeson, one of our global outreach ministry partners from Berlin, he's German, his wife is American, he's leading this group with a Leroy and Marion Avance, who are also in a cross-cultural marriage, so if you're interested in that, that would maybe be a blessing for you guys, so you can uh, get their information from me, I don't think I have it in here. Uh, They just kind of got their time together this week and asked me to announce that. One more thing, and then we'll get on to the sermon. It's getting late, isn't it? It's already dark outside, right? Um, We print our giving needs here in the bulletin. One of the things that's kind of a core practice for us is we don't uh, twist people's arms on giving. We just kind of let you know where it stands. So I want to let you know, uh, we encourage people that, that call this their home to partner with us financially, and there's a giving box in the back. But we were actually short in October, which doesn't usually happen for us. So I just wanted to let you know that the need is there to pray about uh, responding to that. Again, we, we're not concerned, but we also want to make sure we're taking the steps to inform you about kind of where we're standing with those issues. So if you'll pray about helping us with that shortfall, that would be great. So now Ephesians. Let's look at the book of Ephesians together. Ephesians chapter 3. We finally made it into chapter 3. Let me give a little applause for that. Thank you. We've been following this concept of new identity in the book of Ephesians, and what the concept is, is that we want to give ourselves an identity or maybe just receive whatever identity has been imprinted on us, right, by abuse or difficulty or neighborhood or family. When God says, you should receive your identity from me, God says, receive your identity from who he is and what he's done. Don't continue to listen to the tapes of 
of abuse and shame and all this uh, stuff that we're, we're tending to listen to, but listen to God's Word and what He has to say about you, that He loves you, that He's given Himself for you, and that He's adopted you into His family. And that is the bedrock. That's what's going to be able to help us to actually love other people. That's what's going to free us to actually make a difference in this world, is if we listen to the identity that God gives us. This week, we're moving into a new lens to look at that. So the same theme of new identity, and we're looking at the identity of having access into God's presence. There's this question that goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden. We all know that we are locked out of paradise, right? We all know that we don't live in the place where everything is as it should be. We talked a little bit about this last week, the concept of shalom, the concept of peace, and just things being as they should be, being healthy, being together, being in love, being right, everything working like it's supposed to. We, we all live in some shattered version of that, right? It's not whole. It's not complete. And so human beings, for all of history, have been trying to get that access back into paradise, And so the great mystery of the world, the great question of the world is how do we get back in? And Paul again and again in this text is going to answer that question. He's going to answer the mystery of the universe and say that question has been answered in Jesus. The mystery of how we get back in, how we get that access has been solved in Jesus. So let's look at the text here. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And he starts off in kind of a funny way. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And again, this word Gentile means outside nations. It's literally literally in the Greek ethnades. It's other nations, and it just means those that aren't Jews, right? Those that aren't part of the original promised people of God. And and then he goes off on this sidetrack. So he's starting to go one direction, and he'll actually pick this direction back up later in verse 14. So this exact same phrasing is going to pick back up in verse 14. We'll see that next week when he begins to pray for them. Saying, for this reason, I, Paul, prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles, I'm going to pray this for you. And he picks that prayer up in verse 14. But here he kind of breaks away and says, now let me explain what I mean by being a prisoner for you Gentiles. And he has to kind of go off on this parenthetical that we're going to spend our whole night on tonight. 13 verses of a little aside thing that Paul's saying, okay, hold on, let me explain this. I'm a prisoner for you Gentiles, but it's not all bad. I I don't mind being a prisoner for you nations because God's using it for your glory, for his good, by his grace. So that's his explanation here that follows in verse 2. He says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Verse 3 says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We hit this hard last week. There is now one new humanity. It doesn't matter what color we are. It doesn't matter what neighborhood we grew up in. There's one new humanity through Jesus and what he's accomplished. He picks it up in verse 7. He says, Of this gospel, or this good news, this gospel, I was made a minister, a servant, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Comes back to the idea. Yeah, I'm in, yeah, I'm in prison, but it's, it's for your good. God's doing something really incredible here. There's, there's grace that's, that's going out in this process that we're all caught up in. Let me pray for us, and we'll look at this in more detail. God, we pray that you would teach us tonight. God, I pray that you would help us to recognize the access that we have to you, to paradise, and, and to you, into your presence through Jesus. And God, I pray for those here tonight. Lord, you know we're all over the map. Some of us uh, have, are still questioning. Some of us have not come to the place of seeing that, that you're the solution to our problem. We're trying to, we're trying to make up our own solution. Some of us have, have come to that point of faith, but we, we doubt and we wander. God, I pray that tonight as we look at your word, your spirit would convince us that we would just be bowled over with your goodness, your grace, that you are the answer to the questions that we're asking, that you are the solution to the mystery. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we think about this, this theme of, of being locked out of paradise, of not having access into paradise, into God's presence, I was thinking of a great work of literature um, called National Lampoon's Vacation. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that, but it actually was a movie I saw before Jesus, so I would not recommend the movie um, in all seriousness. But there is this concept in the movie where the character played by Chevy Chase, Clark Griswold, um, he feels that same angst, that same yuck that we all feel of being outside of paradise, of recognizing that we're no longer in this place where all things are as they should be. And he decides that the solution for this problem is a family vacation. And y'all are probably thinking, well, he's already gone wrong with that solution, right? But the whole movie is his pursuit of this paradise of the family vacation. That's the whole pursuit. And it's just one pretty much horrible, disgusting thing after another that's thwarting his desire to make it to this destination. In the end of the movie, he finally arrives. He finally gets to that place, that Valhalla, that, that paradise. It's called Wally World in the movie. I don't know if y'all have seen it, but it's kind of like Disney World type place. He finally makes it there, and it's this big climactic moment, and it's closed. After all this, after a whole movie of terrible things that they went through to try to make it there, he finally, you think, is victorious, and then it, it's closed. He can't get in. He's still locked out. He still doesn't have access into paradise. He still doesn't have access into that place where everything's going to be okay, where my family's going to be happy, where we'll find some rest and some fun. And so he decides he's just going to steal the security guard's gun and hold him up and force his way into, the, uh, into this amusement park, which of course I would say is not, that's not the way to go, guys, okay? As your pastor, I would say that's not the way to solve the problem. And in all seriousness, we we try all kinds of things like that to solve the situation. Most of us haven't gotten to that level of crazy yet, right? I mean, most of us haven't bottomed out like that, but we, we try it. We, we medicate, right? We might go to the doctor or we might just go to the bottle. Um, we might try with relationships. We might think, you know what, if I have just the perfect spouse or the perfect family or the perfect whatever, then everything's going to be okay. Then I'll be in. Then I'll be safe. Maybe you grew up poor. Maybe you grew up poor and you think, you know what, I'm not going to be insecure like I was when I was a kid, but I'm going to have a good retirement or I'm going to have a good job or I'm going to have a good house and that's going to make things okay. 
none of these things are bad, right? None of these gifts from God, medicine, family, money, none of these things are bad. They're gifts from God, but they're not God. And they're not paradise. And God is always trying to communicate to us that He's the solution. That He's the solution. The only way in is through Jesus Himself. And so the first thing I want us to look at as we, as we kind of dig into this is the idea that the access uh, back into paradise is new. What is new about it? Because Paul, as he unveils this, says this is something that hasn't been unveiled to previous generations. And that's confusing because as, as people of the book, we know that, well, he's, he's told us about a lot of this in the Old Testament already, right? So, so how is this new? So the first thing I want us to look at is that it is new in some sense and try to define what that sense is. So verses 1 through 6 explain this. So for this reason, I, Paul, prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you nations, he says, then assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So this special dispensation of grace, a stewardship, right? It's something he's been given uh, to share with others. He says, this grace was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. So it was just directly revealed to Paul, right? If you know Paul's story, you can read it in the book of Acts. Um, God just knocked him down and revealed himself directly to Paul. He says in verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So he's saying, you, you know I have special insight into this revelation of who Christ is, into this mystery of the person of Christ. Verse 5, then he says, he defines the newness which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So he's saying there's some sense that it's new. What's been revealed now to the apostles and prophets by the Spirit, this is new and it hasn't been revealed that way in the past. So, so what is the newness? Well, let's look in verse 6. I think he defines it a little bit, but we, sometimes we get thrown off the trail with the way it's described in verse 6. So I want to explain what it says in verse 6, and then tell you how theologians usually read that. And then I want to just kind of add a little twist to it. Okay, I don't want to disagree with all theologians. That would be kind of scary, right? But I want to kind of add a twist to it here. Verse 6 says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, what most people focus in is the Gentiles being fellow heirs, partakers of the same body, members of the same promise, They focus in on that, and they kind of leave off that last phrase, through Jesus Christ, through the gospel. So it's important. So that's what theologians emphasize. I want to look at that first. Those those three phrases he gives us are actually three Greek words that are are translated in a bunch of English words. They're three Greek words that all start with the same prefix, okay? So it's this repetition, right? When you have things that start with the same letter, start with the same prefix, you recognize the author is trying to kind of say something to you, right? He's saying the Gentiles are together with or unified with it's the prefix syn uh, we would use the word synergy right that's kind of a cool word we like to use sometimes or or synthesis it means together or are united as one right and so these are three three words he uses uh, starting with syn together inheritance together body together sharing so the outsiders are now insiders together with god's promised people right Together, together, together. Unified, unified, unified. He uses three words to emphasize that. And so where I think the theologians get a little off track is what we have is two, two kind of big branches of theology. One is called dispensationalism. One is called covenant theology. And most 
Bible-believing Christians uh, are, are kind of taught by one of those general schools of thought. At, at our church, we're kind of a mishmash of both. Uh, historically, we come from a dispensational background. I went to a covenantal seminary, and so we kind of have a hybrid of both. They're both Bible-believing, evangelical schools of thought. Dispensationalists would tend to say uh, what's important and what's new about this mystery is that God is temporarily doing this thing where he brings in the church, he brings the Gentiles in, and then he's going to go back to the Jews later, right? And so they kind of make it like the church is just this blip on the radar. Whereas covenant theology tends to emphasize now he's working in the church. Jews, he's done. Totally new thing with the church, right? And I think those are both, I'm kind of painting the extremes of them, those are both kind of extremes. We would, we would see a little bit of truth in both of those, that this is clearly how God is now working is through the church, but we also see some prophetic fulfillment still to come for the Jews, right? And you're probably thinking now, wow, how long have we been talking about this? This is uh, very strange you know, stuff that theologians argue about. What I want to show to you is that sometimes we can get off track by looking at what's important and then we can miss the next thing. Look, look at the, next, the very next line after he talks about God bringing together Outside Jew, outsiders, outside of the Jewish faith, into the Jewish people. They're all one body now. There's this oneness together, together, together. And then he says, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That, that's what's really new. That, that's the part of the revelation that we didn't fully know in the Old Testament. right? Because we knew that God was going to bring in outsiders into the people of God. That was told to us again and again in the Old Testament. So it's not really that new that God would have this people and that people join together because God kept foreshadowing that in the Old Testament. If you like to take notes, I'll just throw out some cross-references for you. We talked about Genesis 12 last week. So Genesis 12, 1, and 3, or 1 through 3 is where God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and your family, the Jews, so that you can bless all the other families of the earth. So right there when he's making the promises to Abraham, we see that his plan was always to bless the whole world, to bless all the nations. And so the hard division that the Jews said of insiders and outsiders was a little too hard because God's plan all along was to bless all the nations of the world. We see that theme picked up in uh, Isaiah 42.6, in Isaiah 2.2, in Psalm 2.8, and in Isaiah 49.6. I'll read Isaiah 49.6 to you. It says, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. So he's saying, that's, not, that's too light. That's not as much as I want to do, just, just helping Jacob and Israel, just helping God's promised people. He goes on and says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That sounds familiar, right? I'll make you a light to the Gentiles is the other translation we see picked up in, in the Gospels. I'll make you a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. That's always been the purpose of the Old Testament people of God. So that togetherness, that saving of all the nations can't be the new part. It's how he did it. It's through Jesus. That's the point. So we have this incredible thing that's foreshadowed. We knew it's going to be a man that's going to come, right? Genesis 3 says, Eve, you're going to have a son someday that will defeat evil. Then the rest of the Bible, we see failure, 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 right? So we're waiting for some man to come that's going to save people. We don't know who he is yet. We keep watching heroes rise up and heroes fall. And that's the story of the Bible. All these broken heroes that don't really live up to those expectations. We know somehow because man continues to fail that it's got to be God that does the saving. God makes that clear. And so we're waiting for this solution to the mystery. How's this going to work? How's a man going to save us? Men can't save us. 
How's God going to save us? He said it was going to be a man. How, how can we have this sacrifice that really finally takes away our sin? And so the whole Old Testament is this mystery that's just begging for an answer. And the solution is Jesus Christ. And so I want us to see that, that Paul's pulling in the togetherness, the partaking, the access. This is all part of it, but it's through Jesus. That's the new part. That's what's amazing. That's what's mind blowing that he's the doorway in i have a picture here of a door so you'll be thinking of it in that context because that's a that's an analogy or an image that jesus used repeatedly right he said i'm the door to the sheep pen right he said i'm the stairway to heaven when he was calling his early disciples right he he referenced jacob's vision of a stairway to heaven with angels going up and down he says that's that's me i'm that stairway to heaven i'm that bridge from heaven to earth he says he's the way the road and the truth and the life And no one comes to the Father except through Him. He says again and again, He's that doorway. And so my question for us is, what are the ways that we're trying to get access back into the presence of God? What does that look like? I mean, I could sit down with you over coffee and spend an hour sharing all the things I've tried. And I'm sure you could share a lot of similar things with me. Like I referenced earlier, we we try money, we try uh, relationships, we try medicine, whatever, whatever it may be. There's all kinds of things that we try that aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves, but what Romans 1 says is that where we go wrong is we worship the created things instead of the Creator. So we take the gifts that He's given us and we hold them up as God instead of worshiping God Himself. And so we have to recognize God Himself became a man, fulfilled all these Old Testament promises, uh, solved the mystery, solved the riddle in Jesus Christ. And He's the doorway. And so that brings us to a place of, of having to repent. Uh, for some of you, you've, you've never really recognized that He is that doorway. You've thought maybe it's just being a nice person, right? Or getting your stuff together. Or ordering your life. And He says, no, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the doorway. He's the only way you can get access in to the Father's presence. It's the only way you can be restored to paradise. And you're not instantly restored now where everything's perfect and, and better. But we have this future that's secure when we walk through that door of faith, when we trust in what Jesus did for us, that He died for our sins, that, his, that our sins were really placed on Jesus on the cross, that He absorbed the wrath of God, and that His righteousness is really given to us as a free gift. That's the exchange. That's the substitution of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And that's the doorway that we have to walk through. Every single one of us have to make a decision to open that door, to walk through that doorway In Revelation, he says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. That's a decision we all have to make. The next thing I want us to to look at is the universal nature of the access. So again, he's already hinted at this with these ideas of together, right? The, The together inheritance, the together one body, the together sharing that we have all together, all the nations with the Jews. And so this is a universal access that we have it's it's worldwide it's big right it says in verse 7 um, of here it is of this gospel i was made a minister according to the gift of god's grace which was given me by the working of his power now this is setting up the universal nature of the access because what happens is if we think that our ministry or our position with god is based on what we've accomplished we've right there eliminated the universal uh, appeal of the gospel, the universal access of what God's doing, because we're beginning to say then, uh, it's for me, but I don't know about you, because I've got my stuff together, right? So Paul could have said, 
He could have said this. Verse 7, he says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He could have said, of this gospel I was made a minister because I'm such a stud and I'm better than the rest of you slobs, right? That's not very universal. No, he includes himself with the people he's speaking to saying it was done by grace. And it's an echo of what we already saw in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, right? Where it says, by grace we're saved through faith. It's not by our doing, but it's the gift of God. It's what he did for us. And so Paul's saying, my ministry is that way too. It's not just salvation, but ministry. Whatever calling, whatever service God is putting you in, that's also a gift of his grace. It's not just your relationship to him and access into heaven is by his grace and by his power working in us, but it's your skills, your talents, the way he's wired you, the the way he's made you, the way he's branded you. That's his power working in you, and he wants you to use those gifts for his glory. Paul says it this way, the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Verse 8, he says to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach or proclaim to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That word unsearchable is a great word that's just like unfathomable, right? Incomprehensible. Can't be traced out. Can't be tracked down. It's just infinite. So it's this incredible riches that we have in Christ. He gets to proclaim that to everybody. And even better, at the beginning of verse 8, he says, though I'm the very least of all the saints... He doesn't even say the very least of all the apostles, right? He doesn't say the very least of all the studly leaders in the church. No, he says the very least of just all the saints, of all God's people. I'm the least. And the Greek construction is even kind of grammatically funny. Uh, Like what I understand as I look at this uh, from the commentators explaining it is that it's kind of like saying the leastiest of the least, right? He kind of adds on, he piles on and makes it almost weird and it's grammatically incorrect. He's trying to emphasize how much he's little, and he's the least, and it's all by God's grace. It's not because of anything he's done. And as I was reading this for this week, I I recognized something I'd never seen before. I've been a Christian for 22, almost 23 years. Went to seminary, been reading my Bible for a while. I'd never heard this before, that the name Paul means small. Have y'all ever heard that before? Like that's the Latin meaning of Paul. So if any of you are named Paul, maybe you could correct me on this. But I read this in the commentary this week, that that it actually means Paul or or means small or implies small and so his name was Saul and when he converted he changed his name to Paul and so he even built that in his name and some people would say well he was actually a little dude well okay fine but but also he's humble right he's also saying that about himself and here saying I'm the leastiest of the least I'm the smallest of the small I'm so small it's only God's power working through me it's only his grace given to me that I get to share the unsearchable incredible riches that we have in Christ the mind-blowing riches of Christ. He goes on. In verse 9 he says, and what I'm getting to share and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Can I get to share this with everyone? From the God who created all things. This is universal. It's worldwide. It's epic. This is not a tribal religion. One of my favorite quotes from an African scholar named Laman Sane says, the original language of Christianity is translation. He says, the original language of Christianity is translation. Our, our friends that read the Quran say it's not the Quran unless it's in Arabic. But Christianity says this is a language that's meant for everyone, that's meant for every tribe, every tongue, every people group, and it's translated and translated and translated again. 
And Jesus Christ wants to enter into your tribe and to your people and to reveal himself to you. Paul says, I get to be a part of that process. The unsearchable riches of Christ that are just blowing out into the whole world from the God who made all things. He says in verse 10, kind of capping up this section, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So all of this works together. Paul, starting with his direct revelation, he's an apostle and he says, but I'm the least of these and I'm preaching, I'm proclaiming, but this, this uncovering and this preaching of God's goodness universally throughout the whole world is done through the church. Not just through the leaders of the church, but through the church. And it's therefore revealed to the heavenly beings. He says to the, uh, how does he say this? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This word rulers and authorities often used for government here, right? We have an election coming up, and so in election season, you know, you hear all the things on the news, and we can get caught up in the frenzy and think, man, the earthly rulers and authority, that's so important, and that's just going to change everything. And and I would say, yes, you need to vote. It's important in that sense, but it's not going to change everything because there's a greater ruler and the church is revealing to the earthly rulers and to the heavenly rulers, the angels, the demons, the spiritual powers that we don't even fully understand, the church is revealing to them who don't know how the story is going to end. The church is revealing to them the wisdom and the unsearchable riches of Christ. And again, not just the leaders of the church, the church. Church, the word ecclesia, it means called out ones. And so the literal translation of that is the called out ones. And in context, in the first century, it would refer to like a city council meeting or to a group of people that were stakeholders in something. And they were called out to a meeting. They were a part of this team. And they were called out and congregated in a symbol that says that's, that's who we are. We're God's people. We're God's adopted children. Every tribe and tongue, no matter what color, no matter where we grew up, we're all His people and we all get to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. Not just to other people, but to heavenly beings that still don't know where this is going. But we know where it's going. And Jesus is revealing it through us. His victory through us. I have a picture here of a, of a billboard for you to think about this concept. So that through the manifold wisdom of God is revealed through us. We're, we're this billboard, right? If you see a billboard on the highway, they're usually, usually not blank, right? Sometimes they are. They're usually not blank. Usually someone's paid a lot of money to purchase that space or that piece of communication to, to say their message. And what I want you to understand is that the God of the universe has spent everything He has to purchase you to communicate His manifold wisdom and His goodness and His grace and His unsearchable wisdom, His unsearchable riches in Christ. He's purchased you. He owns you. You are His space. You are His billboard to reveal His manifold wisdom in the world. So whether you can preach, whether you have gifts of, of mercy or administration, or, or you just love people well, your good neighbor, whatever your gifts may be, leadership, service, God, God wants to use you as a billboard to reveal the reality of who God is in this world. It's not just the leaders of the church. I'm a leader of a church, so I, I get to be a part of this, right? I'm not saying it's not the leaders and it's only everybody else. It, it's all of us together. We, we are the church. I get to publicly proclaim. I get to write articles in the newspaper and I get to 
uh, speak publicly, invite as many people as we can fit in this room to hear the gospel. But you get to do that too. You get to share that too with the people that you work with. In your actions and in your words, you get to be a billboard sharing God's goodness with the world. So my question is, how are you doing that? In what ways are you doing that? It's not an easy question. I mean, we have all kinds of, we have all kinds of opportunities, right? And I know at times when I wasn't preaching, I would pray and I'd have these great plans about how I was going to share gospel with, with people I worked with, and then there would be one barrier after another. I, I know it's not easy to, to be a billboard, to communicate God's goodness to other people, but, but continue to fight that fight, right? Continue to pray and ask God, God, help, help me find ways to share this goodness with others. Help me to figure out ways to help other people and to share the truth verbally with other people. And he'll, he'll give you that, right? It's not all up to you. Pray and ask your Father, and he'll help you. He'll help you figure that out. But the last thing I want us to see is that it's a bold access. It's a bold access that we have into the presence of God, into the throne room of God. Verses 11, 12, and 13 communicate this. It says in verse 11, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, going back to this idea that God is planning everything out in eternity past. We saw some of these weird ideas, right, that we've talked about, like predestination and according to the counsel of God's will and and these kind of concepts. That God has this huge eternal plan that we don't fully understand, but we know Jesus is the revelation of that plan. And we know if we trust in him that we're caught up in that plan. And so he says, again, that gives us a boldness here. This was according to his eternal purpose. Verse 12 says, in whom we have boldness, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So this eternal plan is through Jesus, and through Jesus, who's now our doorway, our access into the Father, we have boldness, we have access, we have confidence. Some of the other translations say we have this freedom, we have this ability to just come right in into God's presence. And he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. That's what it looks like. If we have that kind of boldness, that kind of access into the Father's presence, that enables us to take heart, to not lose heart, to be encouraged. So the implication is that there will be ups and downs, right? Will we always, always be encouraged? Always full of What's the phrase? Spit and vinegar? I don't know. I should have thought of that before I got up here. You know, just always like ready to go, right? Are we just always excited, always on fire? No, we're not always on fire, but he's saying it's a process that we look back to the gospel, look back to Jesus as our access, and the more we look back to Jesus as our access into the presence of God, the more we're renewed in our confidence in him. The more that gives us this boldness, this freedom, this confidence that enables us to execute whatever God calls us to do, to not lose heart when things go bad. Because as I said earlier, when, when we're saved and we place our trust in Him, we're not instantly transported to heaven. We still live in the here and now. And part of following Him is pouring ourselves out for others. So I want to give you an image of this bold axis. I have a picture here of a father hugging a child. And I want you to think about the embrace. Uh, many of you didn't know this uh, physically. You didn't know this in an earthly sense. You didn't know this kind of love of a father that, that loved you well. And what I want to proclaim to you is that through Jesus, you can know that kind of love. We're going to see next week that all fathers 
on earth, all families on earth, derive their name and concept from the Heavenly Father. He's the real Father. All the rest of us fail. All the rest of us fail. I mean, I think I'm a halfway decent father, but I know I, I fall far short of the perfect love of my Heavenly Father. And I know some of you have had fathers that were just downright terrible. But through Jesus, you can know the love and the embrace of a perfect father. He can teach you what that was supposed to be like. He can show you what that should have been. And so don't spend your life angry at the failure, but trust in the love that God has for you. Trust in the embrace that He has for you. As you trust in that, that will turn you loose to be able to deal with the suffering in this world. That, that bold access that we have, the, the confidence that we have in Him will turn us loose to live, okay? To not always be cowering. You've seen the dog that's been beaten that always is jumping out of the way, and many of us live our life that way. I'd say in some ways I've been that kind of person, and God is renewing my heart as I trust more fully in the reality of who God is. That's enabling me to have more boldness and more confidence in the security that I have in Christ. That's enabling me to live in a new way. And so I, I want to I share that with you. I want you to know what that's like. I want you to, to live in that. He says, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. And so this bold access, this confidence that we have, knowing the embrace of the Father, knowing that He loves us, enables us to persevere through suffering. It enables us to be the kinds of Christians that pick up our cross and follow Him, right? Instead of just whining when things go wrong, we pick up our cross and follow Him, and we can have the attitude of Paul that, hey, God, God's including me and in helping me to uh, fill up what was lacking in the suffering of Christ, it says in Colossians 1. There's nothing lacking in Christ's death on the cross, but it hasn't been delivered to everybody yet. And so we get to participate in His sufferings as we bring His sufferings to other people. And we get to share that. As, as Paul says, it's, it's for your glory. It's for others' glory. Think about it this way. In Philippians 1, it says that Jesus knew His incredible equality with God, His position as the King of the universe, but He didn't cling to it. He was willing to give that up to suffer for us, to share His grace with others. The concept is, is as we know the bold access and absolute security we have as sons and daughters of God, that will free us up to, to let go of our rights. That will free us up to be able to suffer and not to cling to our rights to have a perfect life now, but to be able to give some of those up, to be able to suffer with Christ in order to serve others. Well, we need to, uh, we need to wrap up here. One of the things that we're going to do tonight is to share in communion together. And for 2,000 years, Christians have been gathering around the table much like the Jews gathered around the Passover meal, to say the sacrifice has been made for me. The sacrifice has been made to grant me access back into paradise, to allow me to return into God's presence. We've all felt locked out. We all have been locked out. But through Christ's sacrifice, through His body and blood, we can have uh, access back into His presence. I would ask you if you know that to be the reality for yourself, if you know Christ and what He's accomplished for you to join with us, no matter what church you come from or if this is the first time you've ever been here. But if you're not sure and you're asking questions, I'd love to just answer those questions and talk to you about it, but I'd ask you not to participate in this ceremony because it's a family ceremony, a covenant ceremony. Um, 
maybe just pray, maybe ask some questions after the service. Let me pray for us. As I pray, I'll ask the men to come forward. They're going to help to pass out communion. God, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you proved that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that you gave yourself for us. And God, we pray that you would help us to live in light of that reality. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.